A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast dedicated to rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm JB, live in studio, next to my dear friend Phil. Hello, Jonathan. And down the line, my exceptional friend, Tim Cocker. <laughs> Gentlemen, afternoon. How, uh, how are you, mate? Very well. I'm, I appreciate the commitment on a, on a gorgeous, hot, sunny bank holiday Monday. And where else would we want to be than in a darkened room, absorbing all the heat, uh, getting into a sweaty mess in the TMO shipping container where I am and uh, in the rugby dungeon where you are? Well, well yeah, you're in a, a steel container, aren't you, Tim? Exactly. Sun beating yeah. down on it. Goodness me. Yep. Goodness me. I know. But it's fine. It's rugby. I want to talk rugby. Well, it's, well, it's a small But do you know what's keeping Tim cool both metaphorically and physically uh, go on his wonderful Akuma rugby shirt I believe he's uh, in the Malina, I believe you're in the uh, 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 Milano wool one uh, on. what, yeah, uh, what, yeah. what kind of wool is it that Not merino wool that merino wool merino it, it, wool it, there it, you go it keeps you cool in the heat and, uh, and warm in the winter it's uh, a wonderful jersey from our from our club shop hey, exactly so uh, go, go onto our Twitter you'll see it pinned there and you too can look as cool physically and metaphorically, as us. Well, I am looking particularly cool today. You are, aren't you? Because I am in the quintessential summer rugby outfit from from Saturday forward. Yeah. Which is uh, light chino shorts. Lovely. Brown loafers. Uh-huh. And a red rugby jersey. Of course. I've seen this look somewhere else this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and... I'd like to do nothing more than find an enormous, enormous, incredibly talented Polynesian fellow who may or may not be bigoted and <laughs> is a Christian and express my views to him. Uh, it's, it's essential, it's essential. Now, obviously, there's a bit of scandal from this match, so let's deal with that immediately. Uh, I have no problem with uh, loafers and shorts. <laughs> it, well, the- it's an interesting... Like, the situation here is, uh, it, it wasn't a strong look, in my opinion. I mean, I quite like the throwback 2005 Monster jersey. That's nice. Um, yeah, that was it, nice, actually. It, it, it's, it's a tough one, though, isn't it? Because brown suede loafers with no socks, I don't think looks great. With socks, I think looks worse. And invisible socks that you can buy don't stay on. So what do you do? Talcum powder, mate. <laughs> Talcum powder. <laughs> a man from experience. So I, I actually do have brown suede loafers, and I like to wear them with my chino shorts. But now, I guess that's the uniform of a bigot. So uh, yeah, I, I, I can't do that. So yeah, that was that, that was that was the big that was the big controversy. And I think that will divide uh, generations of um, of rugby fans <laughs> as to exactly what the correct garb is. Let's talk about the game. Let's talk about both, both the well, no, let's do one game, some Challenge Cup, and there's some more games. Okay. Well, how about just rattle through? There's quite a few stories that have emerged. It's like headlines. Nothing we need to talk to in too much depth. But 
Warren Gatland, according to the Telegraph, uh, is going to be on another Lions tour. He'll be on the tour to South Africa, adding more fuel to the England rumours. OK. But England are a bit funny with this, are they not? Do they, aren't they like... Do, is, my, is my understanding they don't particularly like their coaches going on Lions tours? Well... Uh, who, know, who knows, but... Uh, yeah. that, that's, Mind uh, you, that's quite easy to say, isn't it? Lions, isn't it? Yeah. it is the, quite the easy to say is. that we don't like our coaches going on Lions tour when your coaches have been Martin Johnson, who was never going to go, uh, Brian Ashton, who's, who's never going to go, Stuart Lancaster, who was never going to go, Andy Robertson, Andy Robinson, Robinson. Gonna go. It's actually pretty easy to say that, isn't it? Yeah. Since yeah. Clive Woodward, they've not had a real candidate. And if, if that's what it takes to get Gatland, and they want Gatland, and... It also means that they get um, kind of some inside knowledge to how other players play and train and all the rest of it. So mm. it, yeah, it he's already all, got all the knowledge. It always seems a benefit to me. He, he does have some like, serious, significant inside knowledge to a lot of the players. Learn about the Welsh team by taking them to, you know, on the Lions tour. Uh, nothing. He could learn a few things about the Ireland team. Yeah, it's true. And maybe two Scottish players, <laughs> <laughs> Finn, Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg. He yeah, could learn a lot. I'm looking forward to the English version of the Geography 6 when, I don't know... Um, <laughs> Who are the English Geography 6? What, what, what a good what question. What bog-standard premiership player? What uh, bog-standard premiership player? Uh, well, Harry Thacker. Well, we had two in um, 2013, didn't we? Because Christian Wade at the time and... Was it Billy Twelve Trees? Uh, uh, Tom Court? Uh, yeah, Tom Court. There is another one as well who... Shane Williams? He was in Japan. He yeah. was in Japan at the time. Uh, there are some others. But yeah, the English players at the moment, I mean, not there's anything wrong with Harry Thack, who's a great guy, a uh, great player, but, you know, that would be a guy who would be in the, in, in my geography six, uh, second row. Um, just what I think. Someone like Beaumont. Well, no, because it would have to be someone who was playing for England, because that's what happened with the geography six, wasn't it? They were playing for Australia, uh, playing for... Wales against Australia, so what? they were so they were nearby. Hill playing for Wales. My head hurts. Boys. My head hurts. Okay. Yes. Good point. Sorry for bringing it up. Sorry for bringing it up. Uh, Leicester have confirmed Callum Green is signing and also announced Leinster's Noel Reed and um, well Yako Tauta, the South African centre, joining. Yako Tauta is a powerful fella. I like that one. Mm. Um, ca- good for Munster a couple of years back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where Leicester are now, isn't it? Good for Munster a couple of years back. Bring him in. Um, if they've got Labanini as well, Callum Green's a decent shout. But then they're going to be quite heavy on locks. And who's the other one? Noel Reed. So, Len- Leinster centre. He has a, a single solitary island cap to his name in 2014. Yeah, it sounds sufficiently, me- yeah. Sounds sufficiently mediocre for, for Leicester. Well done, lads. Yeah. Elsewhere, um, Japan are bracing themselves for unruly fans. Um, but one sort of person that knows rugby over there in Japan has been trying to explain to the police that well, firstly, they've been, they've been saying to all the cities, you need to stock up on beer. No, 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 seriously, I don't think you understand. You need to really stock up on beer. Nice. And then the police have been stressed to them that rugby fans may seem scary, but they're not. I don't like... After my excursion to Prague, I don't want anyone to assume that I'm scary. Uh, because consequences... <laughs> uh, consequences... I mean, I do... Yeah, let's... Uh, yeah, let's just be behaved, shall we? <laughs> Absolutely. London Irish. London Irish been promoted. Uh, Rory Best is retiring. Yeah. Um, ben Teo leaving Worcester. What? How will they tell the difference? <laughs> ben Teo, yeah. af- after 33 games in three seasons for Worcester, at £300,000, 
And the rest. Per, per year. Or, yeah, what, I, whatever I, I it was. I guess the only reason that they'll know that he's gone is because their bank balance uh, has slightly <laughs> increased when the orders have come in. Like, what, what, what was this expense? You don't want to know. It's a terrible business decision. You don't want to know. Yeah, Ben Teo is, is what you get if you buy players at Motorway Service Station instead of going to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> He's the beat by Dre headphones of rugby players. Yes, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. Absolutely right. Um, but yeah, much like beat, uh, uh, Beats by Dre, he did look nice. He did look nice to have. He was a good accessory. Very flashy. <laughs> Very flashy. Sold some shirts. Good, good on him. Where do you think that he'll go next? Don't know. I thought he might go to Leicester. But. Uh, no, God, he's got to play. If he goes to Leicester, they'll make him play games. I wouldn't be surprised for somewhere like Japan. Japan, I know. Loads of cash, hardly any games. Japan would be good for him. I can't see him being ground to, ground to dust in France, can you? I don't know. It depends how good the money is. Because, don't forget, he played a lot of NRL. And if there's anything more physical than going to France, it's the NRL. Do you reckon? It is. Have you ever seen? No, the, no, no, don't get me wrong. I know that the hits are brutal. Uh, no, the, the carries, the number of carries and tackles yeah. per game. You'll get players making forty to fifty tackles and forty to fifty carries per game. The thing I would just say about that, about the brutality of rugby league, which is undoubtedly a physical game, is we look at the carries and the tackles, and we look at the carries and tackles because we miss that they don't have any rucking to do. True. Do you know? So how, you, you how much rucking was Ben Teo doing? Well, I mean, he he will be carrying a lot. He's no Miles Benjamin for Worcester, JB. He's no Miles, no Miles, Miles Benjamin. Benjamin for Worcester, may I add, was Premiership top uh, top try scorer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's, let's not let, let's not speak ill of Miles, please. And probably oh, top speaking ill. I'm, I'm I'm complimenting on his, on his rucking as he's done many times on <laughs> you. Listen, JB's very defensive at the moment, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah. So no more Benter. I would like to see him go to. I don't know. I'd like to see him stay in England to... London Irish. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. If yeah. They, hey, London Irish get him. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a good fit. And they love wasting cash. It'd be the ideal. <laughs> <laughs> they should get Johnny Williams back, though. Yeah, you're right there. Well, you know, they might get the chance. Oh, God, Johnny Williams. Johnny Williams and uh, Jonathan Joseph in so, the centres. So well, just imagine this, right? So you're Johnny Williams. Now, I'm not saying he's gone for a pay cut, but he went for a pay cut. Um, so he wanted so badly to play Premiership Rugby, he probably signed a deal which is below his market value. And if Newcastle go down, he's going to have to probably get out of that deal again. So if that is the case, I imagine he will have negotiated a... Uh, relegation release clause. If that was his motivation, he would, he would definitely have a relegation well, release clause. About that, is it? It'll be about like if they've gone down, everyone has already planned their squads. I mean, I'm sure someone can open up some salary cap for a player the quality of Johnny Williams, but you know, it's difficult. Anyway, you, Phil just touched on it. If, if like you know, you see players uh, going back to their roots, like Callum Green when he when the Leicester signing was announced, was like that's where my career started in the academy at Leicester great to be able to go back if London Irish could do that as well and get Anthony Watson Jonathan Joseph um, uh, Jamie Gibson uh, there's tons more Johnny Williams True. Uh, uh, oh, Joe fucking a singer Corbusiero Corbusiero get him out of retirement yeah exactly yeah there's, they should do that there's absolutely loads the golden generation um, Nick Rouse yeah 100%. Get, him out, get him out of retirement Nick Kennedy out of retirement. Out of retirement. <laughs> Back in the game. Um, so let's go with Munster first. Munster, Munster Saracens. What are your immediate takeaways yeah. from, well, from this colossal clash? 
Well, it was seriously physical, wasn't it? It was. It was. That was never, ever in doubt, the physicality of this game. Uh, who for you stood out play, uh, uh, player-wise? Who really impressed you? I think the... For me? Oh, sorry, go on, Phil. Well, I was, I was going to say, um, the Saracens pack, Yep. in particular, Mako, uh, Itoji and Billy, not just for the physicality, but some of their decision-making, both with ball in hand... So some mm-hmm. of the distribution work that those those three and, and a couple of others, uh, Titi Lamasetelli did as well, but also for the work at the Rook, which it was really, really important. So uh, we know Ty Byrne, um, Peter Omani, CJ Stander and O'Donoghue, the, the open side for Munster. We knew that they wanted to get on the ball, slow it down, disrupt it, win penalties to get territory and field position and they got themselves in the position to do that a number of times were it not for some quick thinking and reactions around the rook by those players now I would say there were a couple of times where they probably did this so illegally they probably came in from the side or or slightly off their feet but the majority of it was very very good identification from the Saracens players that stopped Munster doing what they wanted to Hmm. do you really impress me Go on. Really, uh, Chris Farrell. He uh, is a big, strong boy. He is a bloody good player. How many island caps has he got? It's not many, is it? A handful. I mean, I say he's a good player, and then I watched Ring Rose the day after. I thought, ooh, he's a bloody good player too. Dif- different types of players, though, they aren't, are, they? aren't they? Yeah. But you know, I, I was really, I'm really impressed by, just by the quality of his defence, just physical. I like him a lot, actually. Five, five island caps. Is that it? Yeah. Wow, he's playing for the wrong nation. Um, Tim, who impressed you? Ben Spencer. Oh, yeah, agreed. Very, very I really, good. I really think, and I'm not, I'm not being reactive on this. I, I've, I like Ben Spencer a lot. I think he's got a really balanced game. But having been in that Saracen side for the last what five, six years, he's, um, he, he's developed that sort of territorial tactical nous, but he's still got that little spark and threat around the around the base. But his pass is so clean. I yeah. really, really like him. I think uh, I would take him as my third scrum, third scrum half to uh, to the World Cup. It, it was interesting I think as well. He's definitely pushing that. Spot. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I thought he played very well, and it was interesting. A bit of analysis that Austin Healy did during the game, which was the multiple forward runners. Um, so this led to the Michael Rhodes try. But there was multiple occasions where Saracens had multiple, two or three forward runners, all running slightly different lines at one or two defenders and trusting Ben Spencer to pick out the right one. And one time where it worked perfectly was the Michael Rhodes try. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, Oh, yeah, 100%. The thing which Ben Spencer sort of, well, he sort of raises more questions than answers in, in a lot of ways. Because when I look at Spencer, I've always thought he hasn't quite stepped up to the mark. And now I'm starting to think maybe he didn't step up to the mark because he wasn't quite ready for it. But by sticking with him, and also by him uh, signing a new deal, what was it, two years ago that, that he signed the new deal? When I think a lot of lads would have said, mm, time to go somewhere else, get some game time. You know, if I you know, if I go away and, and back myself, I might get an England spot, so on and so forth. Um, it just shows the value of staying in a system, staying in a good environment, and biding your time. And it, it did help, so... If it was two years ago that they signed the new deal, Richard Wigglesworth would, would have been uh, 
well, he's just about to turn 36, so he would have been 33, 34. So he would have known that Wigglesworth is someone that he can learn from, but also push and be superseded within a couple of years. So it was it was a mature decision by Spencer. Yeah, I think that takes quite a lot, actually, because... I'm sh- I assume he could get better money elsewhere. Whether he could get better business opportunities, who knows? <laughs> but he probably could get better, you know, clean money elsewhere. Jokes, <laughs> jokes, <laughs> jokes. Um, yeah, it's it's just a good decision and, uh, you know, quite a, quite a nice little story, actually. Mm. Spence Nine Investments Limited. Bring yeah, it on. Um, <laughs> now, what, do, you, do you have any issue with Billy Vanapola being named man of the match? Well, no, because he was the best man on the field. Yeah, same. I have no issue with him. You're not selecting him for anything he's said or done. You are selecting him for <laughs> yeah. performance. And but I- what does it say, Phil? What does it say? He's a role model. Uh, I agree, JB, and uh, and well done for chucking another log on the burning fire of injustice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um are Saracens our favourites for the European Cup? I was thinking about this after the Leinster game. So of the two performances, I think Saracens was marginally more impressive. I don't think they're favourites because... So there is some water to go under the bridge between now and the final. There's obviously league games which are, well, important for both teams, but arguably more important for Saracens. Um and then the the playoffs. So I don't I don't necessarily think that the team that played today for Sar or yesterday for Saracens will be the same team that fit, starts the final. So I think things will change. Yeah, I tend to think that Saracens are in a better position. I know it's not trendy to say that rug- playing rugby is good for you anymore, but I do think it is. I think steel sharpens steel. And going into that game, I think Leinster will have rotated and rested and played against inferior teams who are also resting and rotating. And I think it has an impact on, on them. I think it had an impact on the Irish team in the Six Nations. I think the competitiveness of Saracens going into it actually you know, bodes well for them. I just wonder if when they're at full strength and when Leinster are at full strength, I think Leinster might just be a little bit more complete. I think their scrummaging is slightly better. Um, I just think they've probably got 5 five or 10% up on Saracens across the board. Tim? I can't wait for this final. I can't. I cannot wait for the final. It's, it's just mouth-watering, isn't it? Huge. Five, will it be five stars uh, for Leinster? Will it be um, Will it be Saracens clawing one closer? It's the two best teams in Europe. Yeah. The yeah. final is great. Yeah, and that is... So this is not everyone's dream final. If you supported some of the other teams who have got through to the uh, the pool stage, sorry, the knockout stage of the competitions... Uh, or even the pool stage of the competitions, you probably didn't want this specific final. But for anyone who is a neutral, or a neutral in this competition, or even didn't have anyone in the quarterfinals or semifinals, this is the best. This is the best final because these have been comfortably the best two teams. The only team that has beaten either of these teams was Toulouse, who beat Leinster at home early uh, in France earlier in the yeah. season. Uh, and other than that, they've both looked pretty comfortable. Do you think these team, two teams are exciting? I think they have very exciting moments. Tim? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I do. I, I, I think they are. Uh, I, I 
think that their Saracens are always much maligned, but they're they've they've really added to their game since like 2013, 2014 when they were getting to finals and first winning. They've really come on a lot, and they are clinical. They get a sniff and they they finish in a way that I mean that's Toulouse had a couple of moments and they just couldn't they couldn't deliver. Saracens take their chances. Yeah, they're sort of exciting in the same way a Formula One car is. It's undeniably impressive to watch, but everything they do has been planned to like the nth, to like the nth degree. There's there's no real um, sp- uh, there's no spontaneous actions by by, by them. It's all very. Do, I w- I would disagree with that. Really? So, so a lot of it. But how how do you so when Liam I mean, Williams uh, picks up a knocked on high ball and goes on a mazy run beating five players is that pre planned to the nth degree? No, it's not. But what I mean by that is, <laughs> if you watch that, I mean, I can almost watch them and you say, oh, look, there's three men running in a pod and they pull it back and there's, and there's another three men. And you know, and then they make that break and there's a two-on-two two and then they stab it through with that little cross-field kick. I kind of know what they're doing. And I love to watch it. But it's not like uh, pass the ball to... Uh, uh, what's the name? DuPont for, uh, or Cheslin Colby and just hope for the best. It it is or well, there's elements that are similar to that as as I described before, but a lot of it is is incredibly fine tuned. But I don't think that makes it boring. Or yeah. certainly no, to me, it doesn't. Yeah, it no. depends what you. I mean, I I don't think. No, it's interesting to, to sorry to to go along with your like race car analogy. There there a car that you that is like as Phil said, so precisely engineered. So satisfying. They're they're like you know when like really expensive cars when you shut the door they make that really satisfying mm. door shutting noise. <laughs> yes. Whereas whereas then then sometimes you just want to go onto a, a country lane and rag a car that where you're not quite where you're on the edge and you're not quite sure whether you're going to end up in a ditch or just carving around the corner. I'd I'd rather travel in style, Saracen style. <laughs> I completely agree. And I, I, I just to expand on on this terrible analogy. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> To, uh, to lose for me is like one of those American drag racers can be incredibly fast or can blow up killing everyone including <laughs> spectators <laughs> well yes. sh- on on that shall we go on to the uh, the Leinster to lose game or shall we cover the Challenge Cup semi-finals which I'll tell you what can, can I I'm, I'm, we're not, I'm not going over old ground don't worry boys don't worry uh, but I want 30 seconds of course. just 30 seconds that's it of course. Um, no no just just on, on, on the Billy Vanapola thing it sparked up a lot of people saying a lot of stuff I'm not going to go into any of it but um, I would just direct anyone to read Ugo Monnier's piece in The Guardian which came out on Thursday last week I thought it was excellent it, uh, he absolutely nailed the 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 sanctimonious mob that, that that exists on Twitter. He pointed out some really interesting, thought provoking points. I thought, and I thought it was really well balanced. I think everyone should go and read it. And um, and just someone else pointed something out to me, which I said I'd mention on the pods, which is the the World Seven series, which the Australian Rugby Union and all other rugby unions send teams to, uh, is in Dubai, a country where Sharia law is a thing, and. Um, uh. Pre, pre-marital sex is punishable by a hundred lashes. Right, where so. homosexuality, <laughs> where, where homosexuality is illegal, where stoning to death is still uh, a legal crime, and no one has any problems sending their sponsors, sending their teams to uh, a country, so states. So we're not talking about um, like you know a, 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 a company that's based in there, but we're talking about the actual nation. No one has an issue 
sending teams to a country where homosexuality is illegal, but they'll really, really come down hard on a guy like Vinny Vanopola, who was probably misguided in the way he expressed himself, but um, has done nothing physically to or, or materially to affect anyone. So I just thought that was quite an interesting uh, nuanced position. Nuance, uh, as I keep saying, should be your word of 2019. Go and read Hugo Monia's piece. It was great. Excellent. It was a good piece. Uh, just just on the this story, because there was one thing, and I don't want to get into it any further, but there was one new bit of news, which was the shock that Israel Flower was going to appeal the decision. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's... There is an appeal date set for the weekend of the, I think it's the 4th and 5th of May, um, which, I mean, it, I, I am surprised. Um, it does it does blow the conspiracy theory that he was looking for a move to France out of the water. Yes. <laughs> somewhat. But yeah, that that's the decision. We'll, we'll find out more when uh, when that happens. Well, hopefully you'll get a nice juicy payout. Um, now... <laughs> yeah, he, he, there, there was one article, there, there was one article that suggested that he... Uh, um, there are some lawyers who are saying that it would contravene his right to religious freedom. But well, we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch. I'm 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 saying nothing on what I think. I'm just stating the facts that that's what I, that's an article I read. Uh, yeah. Well, just um, as we're kind of a little bit political, uh, Tim, <laughs> you are a man of the people. You you you, th- you. I'd say that you connect very well with the common man. Would you Would you agree with that? I, I hope so. So can you just tell me what it's like to fly on a, pri- a private jet with the Harlequins team? Now, <laughs> 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 honestly, I, I've, I've ticked off a couple of things that I've, I've sort of wanted to tick off my list. I've never travelled business class or, or by private jet or whatever, but I did this weekend. Wow. With, got a seat on the Harlequins uh, plane and it was unreal. Was it was it? unbelievable. So I turned up at Stansted Airport, just went to the main airport, couldn't see anything on any any departure boards, and so I went up to the desk and said, um, "Got the got the um, four forty five p.m. flight to to Claremont. Um, where do I find that? It's it's a private charter flight, and they, they couldn't find it anywhere. They had to make about a half a dozen phone calls, and they said, "Oh yeah, you need to go up the road to the Diamond Hangar." What? <laughs> they have one of those at sale, but I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so I took, I took the taxi to the Diamond Hangar a couple of miles away, and it's, it's how the other half live. Oh, my God. You walk into this opulent room where the Saracens team was sat around. There were these incredible lounges. It's the sort of place I can imagine like having a yoga retreat. And then... Um, there's like a Japanese garden in the middle of it. You could stroll around. And then what? when they said, oh, you're, you know... You need to come through to to the flight. You walk out. You walked out the front door. Got into these um, cars, which are already there to drive you. We thought, well, how far are we going? They take you about a hundred meters around the corner <laughs> in into a hangar that's like something out of a Bond movie onto a plane that, you know, I mean, it was it was quite a big plane, but there was hardly any seats on it, so I could stretch my legs right out in front of me and not touch anyone. It was opulent. I um, saw some of your pictures because obviously you shared some pictures on a you know our, our, our little group, and I can legitimately say it looks like the sort of hangar. Do you know when uh, it, you know, a world leader has to fly out immediately, or like the CIA are launching a, like a mission, clean white, yeah, like one aircraft in there, Air Force One type yeah, stuff. Ex- ex- exactly, it looked very very cool. And uh, is that your first yeah. time travelling with a team to a European game? Yeah, 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 it what? was. Uh, and what are they like? I mean, is it just another business day to them, or were they quite excited to be on, be on the plane? Are they rowdy? Were they quiet? What? 
What were the boys they, like? they, they weren't rowdy. They weren't rowdy. Everyone, everyone had the headphones on and was into whatever show they were watching. Mm. Um, Joe Marler's a proper card. Um, I, I don't think he'd mind me saying, but um, he he walked from one side of the this this little hangar um, room that we were in. And I just saw him out the corner of my eye walking all the way across the room, walked in front of me, walked past me, walked over to Nick Evans, who was sat in this little area with all the coaches. And I heard him say to Nick Evans, he, he walked all the way across just to say to Nick Evans, has anyone ever told you you look like a malnourished Heinrich Brousseau? And then he walked all the way back to where he was. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. It is true as well. Yeah. <laughs> Very good spot. <laughs> So, so the, no, they seem like lovely blokes. Um, I managed to keep my Chris Robshaw man crush in check and didn't bug him. Did you sit next to him? I sat across from him on the way back. Why did you sit next to him? Hi, he, hi, Chris, massive fan. <laughs> uh, well, he's such a guy. What did, a guy! What a guy he is. He had a good game as well. I didn't see any of this game, so you have to tell, tell me about it. Well, be, before we before we actually well, talk about the game, yeah, it, a question for you. Um, so. Uh, do you think Munster are the best travelling fans in Europe? Domestic club fans? They're more Leinster. Yeah. I, they I th- have to be. No, M- Munster have to be. I think Munster travel better than Leinster from what I've seen. Okay. Um, and 12,000 of them at the Rico. Massively outnumbered Saracens as well at the Rico. Oh. Enor- Three to one. Yeah. Three to one. Enormously outnumbered Saracens. Um, so that that's question number one. And then question number two, which Tim, you are now qualified to answer... Is Clermont, the Stade Marcel Michelin, is it the best atmosphere of, for a domestic rugby game you've ever seen? I, I can answer this because I've been to Toman Park for a big European match. I've been to the Aviva Stadium, been to, um, oh, what's the what's the place Leinster play at home? The oh, race ground thing. RDS. Yeah. RDS. I've been, I've been there. I've been to La Rochelle. Um, I haven't been to the, to the new... Racing Metro Stadium, so I can't say that, but but comfortably, yes, it, it's a bucket list place. You've, it's a bucket list place to go to go and watch rugby. It is out of this world. Wow, it looked incredible. So that that I know your uh, introduction to the show on s- Saturday night was curtailed because of the extended sale game, but that first that kind of five minute little snippet you did with Ben K right at the start ben of the K, show, yeah. the atmosphere on that looked unbelievable. And that was the, yeah, it, the players were just warming up behind you. Yeah, it's it was it was out out, out of this world, and the way the stadium is that it's so uh, steep that the, that the fans are so close to the pitch, and um, they are mental. They so, are mental, and it's something like Claremont's a town of only like a hundred thousand people, and there was twenty thousand people in there. Bloody hell! Yeah, so you know, I think that the. Um, Organisers, well, ERPC or whoever they are, what's it to answer for here? The junior competition, the Challenge Cup or whatever we call it nowadays, had two absolutely bouncing games. And in terms of that, I mean, I don't know what the games like themselves. I didn't see them, but from what you've told me about the crowd in Claremont and from what I saw the crowd in in La Rochelle, it looked bloody awesome. Yeah, but those two games were played at those teams' home stadiums. I think yeah. it's down to the home team whoever is seeded higher, to organise the stadium. Because Coventry isn't going to work. I mean, it just isn't well, going to work. I, I suspect that Saracens did organise that. Do you reckon? I, I, I think so, yeah. 
So my understanding. I was, to, I was trying to think of a stadium that they could have that they could have picked. I'm not sure. I'd say the Allianz personally. So my understanding of the rule is, it it is organised by European Rugby, but they can select the home stadium, providing it meets the criteria of a stadium that is suitable for a semi-final game. So maybe Tottenham wasn't right. ready. Maybe Wembley wasn't available. Maybe Twickenham or yeah, Olympic uh, Stadium. Would you want in those stadiums? So you would you would get more mm. Saracen fans travelling into London than you would to Coventry. Hundred percent. But yeah, Not but, well, if yeah, if it's a hundred percent more, you've got seven thousand fans. So you, even with the twelve thousand Munster fans, you've got nineteen thousand in a seventy thousand I mean, or a sixty thousand. A few weeks ago, they played Harlequins in Twickenham, and there's far more. There's a load of free tickets given out for those games, I think. Yeah. It's a difficult one. I mean, there are a lot of stadiums in London. I just think, you know, as a fan, you know, look, when we select our games as neutrals to go and watch, um, we literally do it half based on who's playing and half based on how fun the town is. True. So, like, you know, we didn't really want to see Italy play the All Blacks, but we did want to go and have a few Negronis in Rome. Correct. And I just, for the life, I'm not even sure you can buy a Negroni in Coventry. <laughs> in fact, can we just rewind to that game? So I've never seen the hack alive and you and you made me really late because we wanted to sit and have a long lunch. And then by half time, JB was going, should we just get to town? Should we just, should we just go to town? <laughs> yeah, I can care, can care less. And, and that would be, so I don't really want to go to Coventry. And it's not, you know, I'm not trying to offend the people of Coventry and, uh, you know, wasps are different because people of Coventry want to go and watch wasps. I just think it's a bad place for a European semi. I agree with that. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Mm. Uh, so the game. 100%. Uh, so the Claremont game. Uh, Do we learn anything about Claremont? Are they now the clear-cut favourites for this whole thing? So I found it... Uh, I, I, I don't think they played their best. I don't think they played the, the best they have. They looked... They, they, cut, they can cut you to ribbons, but they weren't... I mean, the Harlequins are great. They did really well. Mm. It was It was an interesting game. So... The bit that I found was interesting was how important so how importantly Claremont treated the game and by that I mean th- they really recognized the importance of taking points so Lopez took a couple of pot shots for drop goals mm. they almost always when they had a kickable shot they almost always went for the the post rather than the corner in order to yeah, build a lead and that yeah. is that's reflecting the scoreboard because it was two tries for Claremont and four tries to Harlequins. So Harlequins were playing more of the rugby, not because Claremont can't, but because they were too cautious to play the open rugby. Really? Which I think, and I was actually thinking of this, so they were a better team than Harlequins. They had, they had more attacking threats, and Quinn's played very well. They, uh, Quinn's played really well. But Claremont always had enough muscle. I do suspect they were using this as a precursor to top 14 yes. knockout rugby because they, yeah, good shot. they would like to win the challenge cup who wouldn't they want a bit of silverware but I think their second top in the top 14 they want to they have to win the top 14 now can someone remind me what it is that Claremont are really bad at is it not winning Europe is it not winning the top 14 or is it both I think it's both always the bridesmaid it's, it's both really Losing in semi-finals and finals in the Champions Cup is what they do. If they win this, this will be their third win of the Challenge Cup. But yeah, they've had some, they've had some heartache lately. But um, uh, it's interesting. Um, Benjamin Kezer after the game, mm-hmm. when I spoke to him, said 
that they need to by the final they need to get used to European referees. I think it was kind of a guarded, quite a guarded, subtle way of saying, "God, they bloody ref things differently." Um, George Lacey to to the refs they used to in France. So I think he felt like they didn't manage that very well, but they had enough in their tank. But on the Quinn side of things, y- your man Marcus Smith was awesome, JB. Yeah, he's a good player, isn't he? He was awesome. Think he's going to start for England? In time for the World Cup? Uh, Understudies Danny, Danny Cipriani? <laughs> I don't think so, but, I don't think, but he, I'll tell you what, he's some player. And I, I was sat in the, in the dugout, uh, in one of the dugouts, and... I, I just watched him for a little bit and when Quinns were mounting their comeback in the second half, when Quinns got points and just in between things, the way he he was grabbing the team by the scruff of the neck really impressed me. He, his body language, G and people up, taking control. I, I, I... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I was watching him thinking, this is a proper player. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's how I felt. I watched him against... uh... Ulster, two, a year ago, no, two, well, 18 months ago, whatever it was. And the thing which impressed me the most is, well, you're basically talking about a kid, aren't you? Mm. You know, he's just a kid. At the time he was eight, he was 18, I think, maybe he was 19. But he's he's putting in little dinks for Jamie Roberts to catch. So you've got to basically marshal Jamie Roberts from the field, who's like a, a Lions man of the series, two tests, sorry, two tours underneath his belt, a couple of Grand Slams, a doctor, one of the most respected names you know, in the game, and you, you, you've got an eighteen-year-old saying, "Yeah, run here, run there, catch that, ch- chase this," and uh, yeah, I think that's more than his physical talent, which is immense. It's that sort of leadership that he's got. He was, I would he was... also add, I think um, Mike Brown is playing right up there with the best rugby he's ever played. I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Agree with that. And his tr- the finish for his try was exceptional. Mm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. And Chris Robshaw, as we, and Chris Robshaw, as we mentioned, I think um, he is playing out of his skin. Yeah, the competition for those two slots has really pushed those boys on. Do you know though? I, I can't help but feel this is—it's all very nice, and it's kind of quinzy in that it's a great performance from what you guys say. Um, they're all playing really well, but they all played really well, and effectively, this game never mattered anyway because they lost it. And how does that affect them going forward in, in, into their next game? Because they've lost quite a few on the bounce now. They have. They've mounted a comeback. They've played well. They've still lost. You know, there's going to be bru- uh, bruised bodies, bruised egos. I'm not entirely sure it helps them. It, it probably doesn't in terms of the league and securing top four. Um, they had to go for 100%. Because if, if you got a win here, you'd be saying the exact opposite of all those things. And they were in it. I mean, if that try, the, uh, the Dombrant offload, was it to Saeeli? The tr- oh yeah, the try with kind of ten minutes to go. If that stands, it's a different game. It's a different finish. 
Yeah, well, they've got uh, Exeter next, so that could well be a loss, loss at Sunday Park. Yep. So I don't know what that spin, spins them onto, but it's not a favourable record. They've then got Leicester at home. I think they'll do Leicester. I think they'll Leicester will have given up by then. They'll win that. I think Leicester will feel they're safe. Then they've got Saracens. At, no, they haven't. That's Exeter. Have they got? Then they've got Wasps at Wasps, and that actually could be... So they could win two out of three. Well, I mean, Wasps are three points behind them. Yeah. So Wasps win that, and potentially Wasps go to uh, go into the top four. Amazingly. Unbelievably, actually. Yeah. So, hmm, very, very good. Um, just on the two wingers in this, not the Harlequins wingers, the two Clermont wingers. Racker and... Racker and Penno. Penno. Is Penno's there something. a more dangerous wing pairing, a club-level wing pairing in the world right now? Maybe... Uh, may, may, maybe Sale in Ashton, Denny, McGuigan, Yard, whichever whichever pair that they go for. But, you know, you'd, you'd argue that they're not really playing playing great. They're not. They're not playing as well. As, I mean, the Panode, uh, Pano try, which he had no right to score that, but he had the vision, the chip, the skill, the pace to execute it yeah. perfectly. That was just phenomenal. I'm trying to think of other good wing pairings. Rock and Dagoonie and what's uh, his name? Uh well Big Joe. Big Joe. When they're when they're both on song. Colby, Colby and Colby and Uge have got to be close. Yeah. Yes. Colby and Uge is a good shout. Yeah. And and, and Saracens can put out some you know, tasty wingers, to be fair to them. They can. But yeah, yeah, you're probably right, they're probably as dangerous as anyone. Pinot's an exceptional talent. But mind you, Racker's not bad either. Racker is fairly handy. Very French. Uh, yes. Is he, he's qualified for France now. He will do soon, I think. Bloody hell. Uh, I just want him to play for Fiji in the World Cup. I don't want him to play for France. <laughs> Land of his fathers. Uh, anyone, they, wa- anyone watch the sale game? I watched uh, the sec- yeah. most of the second half. Disappointing, I thought. Watched a lot of Nigel Owens in this game. Oh, God. I, I, I'm i really torn on this. I hated how this is officiated. I hated it. Every It felt like every decision had to be referred to the TML. And Nigel Owens isn't that sort of ref. He's a very good, instinctive ref who makes the majority of right of the right decisions and lets the, well, lets the boys play. He literally, that, that's what he does. I thought yeah. it was poor. I thought it was really poor how it was all handled. I'm not. I think everyone might say it was the Nigel Owens show. I think it was more his uh, assistant refs you know, kind of getting in his ear. So Luke Pierce was one of the assistants. It was the other Ian something, isn't it? Is it Ian? He was the ref ben who watched Georgia Romania. Him. Okay. Ian Welshman. Tempest. Ben White. <clears throat> ben White was there. He's the, he's the other Welshman. No, it wasn't him. Uh, you you recognise? He looks. Yeah. Um, bald fella, quite a large bald fella. Good, good, good. Ref. Oh, I don't know. But like, there's know. a lot. You know, there's lots of pep talks going on. Like, let's all concentrate. Yeah, it's, guys, it isn't about you. You know, just let the game develop. And I kind of think, you know, if you miss a few things, like there was one sale. I think it's a sale knock on, which you know you could only see from one angle, and they pulled it back, and it didn't really affect play. They just just carry on. You know, just crack on. Um, there were a few things that I just. Uh, I'll give you an example of how I think Nigel Owens likes to ref and what he wanted to happen and what actually happened. So, do you see the Denny Salomona yellow card? Yeah. Yes. Right. Now, 
it is a yellow card, right? It just is because it is. But you can, <laughs> it just is because it, it just is. is. I'm not going to argue if it is or it isn't, right? But I can tell Nigel Owens isn't wanting to give that card. So the first thing that they're checking for is grounding. And they're okay, well, there's no grounding. And then it's kind of like the secondary effect. Was there a process crime? So, oh, hang on, that's a bit high. Oh, it was a bit high. Oh, was it the high tackle that prevented the try? Oh, hang on. There we go. That's a penalty try. Now, can we check that he was on side before making the run? So, in my mind, that's Nigel Owens thinking... I'm now, I would never give a yellow card if this is just open play and I call it an open play, but I have to give a yellow card because we've gone through the process. It's clear that, clear that that's high. It's clear that it prevented the try. That therefore has to be a yellow card. So I may as well go through the rest of the process now to say, was that guy onside? Because if he wasn't onside, then I can get away with not giving the yellow card in the high. <laughs> but shouldn't, shouldn't the yellow card, if it is a yellow card, in, which it was in Nigel's mind, shouldn't that overrule the offside because that's a more serious offence no because it wasn't a high shot with force well, it was more like uh, it was more like the illegal action which you can't do prevented the try I think if that was an open <coughs> play he might just say penalty so it's like giving away a penalty sort of infraction to prevent the try rather than a reckless or high shot it's have... very similar to the joke to, to Corey Tackle that the, the French sighting panel said warranted no sanction um, well, when he, there was a big difference yeah. in the level of force between the two. Yeah, and I, I was okay with the Joe Takori, the sighting panel findings on that. You never like to see a player get knocked out, but I think they probably got it right in that situation. Yeah, I think they probably did. There's a big difference with Denny because there, there was very, very little force. Yeah, I mean, they both ended up back on their feet, I think. They sort of like rolled around and yeah, popped yeah. on their feet. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but it was, it was the right call because, well, you know, that's what the law states. It just wouldn't have happened that way if they hadn't have had to go to the TMO. And the TMO just couldn't, you know, he had such a busy day. And I think the French director didn't help much because he kept on hiding things. <laughs> so it's for, the la- for the final one, yeah. where he just wouldn't show the angle that everyone wanted to see. Exactly. So, which, which actually did, it actually did, I think him not showing that final angle, the, the angle from behind number 23, uh, was what got number 23 yellow carded. Because he didn't actually make any contact with Denny's head. He just kind of... Oh, I thought he did. I, I think Denny pulls his head back with no contact. Regardless, I think an, an attempted kick to the head... <laughs> I, I, see, I, I don't think it was an attempted kick to the head. Uh, well, I think I he was, was just trying to... I think that Can was, we talk... Anyway, yeah. so... so I'm, I'm with you. I just also want to say, Aweenia uh, Tonio uh, has got the tig burn... Um, the the tig burn affliction of... You know, really making them making them the very most of an incidental bit of contact, which uh, oh, almost got one. James Phillips yellow carded. Yeah. Almost got James Phillips yellow carded, but for some utterly confusing chat between Big Nigel and the TMO. Yeah, and Nigel got that right, as far as I'm concerned. I thought, as far yeah. as I'm concerned, he did. Yeah. yeah. So, which, which Uini Antonio and Dante Preso scrummaged phenomenally well. They were so, so good. considering how how solid he is, impossible he is to move at scrum time to fly with a tiny bit of contact there is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's worth yeah. talking about the La Rochelle scrum. Assail sharks are no slouch when it comes to scrummaging. In fact, they're bloody brilliant. They're a really good scrummaging side. I have not seen them being manhandled like that in set piece. I, I was going to say since I've started do, doing this podcast. 
Like, but, I, they just, it just doesn't happen. You know, they, they know their jobs inside out. Uh, Ross Harrison had a tough old time. Maybe, well, maybe we, we, we have been doing the podcast in the era of Tony Buckley, so I, I would maybe take that back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fair. Very, very fair. Um, uh, one man I'd like to talk about, um, only briefly, but Victor Vito. Okay. So, his yellow card, I think that was exactly the right call from Nigel. I think I can't remember it now. What happened? He deliberately he deliberately collapsed them all two yards from the try line. Knew exactly what he was doing. But so there was a point. There was a point probably sixty five seventy minutes into this game where like this game was absolute chaos. It was so physical, so demanding, uh, so energetic, and. They were, there was a shot of, it was one of the Curries, it was just his head. I don't know which one it was, but he was like breathing through his arse. There was like blood, snot and sweat smeared on all corners of his face. His hair was all over the place. And then a second later, they snapped to Victor Vito and he every single hair perfectly in place. <laughs> he, was, he was barely breathing, not a drop of sweat on his brow. He's got good shoulders as well as he good traps. He is a serious, serious, seriously handsome dude serious and a serious case, specimen. Yeah, yeah completely he agree. is a hell of a player. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Curries are all action. I mean, I mean, yeah, they are one hundred percent action. Yeah, they're great players, but you know, maybe not as attractive as, as Victor Vito. <laughs> I, I think I can concede that. Not, not many people are. Uh, just a few other things on, on this performance. I mean, uh, I don't like. Uh, uh, I'm not going to be too critical, but I thought uh, James O'Connor did not have a good game. He's playing like someone who thinks he's fast rather than being fast. And there's nothing worse than thinking you're... I mean, if you're no longer fast, it's really a real good idea to recognise that and do something different with your game, not play like you're really fast. So you had two two early interventions, both run into touch, then threw a ball in, ball into touch later. I thought, I'm going to put that down to, to, down to a little bit of lack of game, game fitness. Um, thought Denny, as awesome as he is, just uh, he just had no space to operate in, which it, which isn't good for him. And lastly, like you know, the pack just had too too much to deal with. And I, in a way, I think it, this game was close because, well, there were so many stoppages. I think if this was a fluid game, Larochelle started getting over the game line, really stretching sail. This could have been a, a lot bigger, a lot bigger scoreline to Larochelle personally. Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to that final. Really looking forward to that final. It should be well, you've got lots of huge men and lots of very quick men. Yes, yes, quite. Which brings us nicely onto Toulouse, actually, um, mm. because they are a ridiculous mix of enormous men and very small quick men. Yes, yeah, particularly with Dupont playing ten, because he is lightning. I, I love him. He's steppy. He's brilliant. I kind of wish he wasn't playing ten. Just because Entomac has been so good. Now, I know Entomac had that very heavy strapping on one of his thighs that they were speculating that's the reason why he didn't start. But I just felt that uh, with DuPont there, you Toulouse lost a bit of that Is control it? and game management. Now, shall we talk about this after we just round up, round up some news so we can finish with a bang? Okay. Um, you okay with that, Tim? Yeah. Cool. Todd Black- Blackadder's leaving Bath. Who saw that coming? Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone. I actually everyone. thought this was already announced. It was announced that he had an optional one year. I think I'm right in saying that. He had an optional one year, and 
that's not being enacted. Yeah, I don't actually think this is a big deal at all. In fact, I know it's not a big deal because I, I think I called at the start of the season that uh, Matt O'Connor should be fired and then um, Blackadder fired immediately afterwards. Now, there's no way to it. Blackadder is a better acquisition than Matt O'Connor was. But uh, in terms of um, what he's done so far, and, and, and you know, in terms of how he's, you know, how he's held within that Bath organisation, I, I don't, I don't think he's a particularly good fit. I think it's probably best if it, if he if he moves on. And one of the things which highlights this most to me is the whole debacle around Reese Priestland, their number ten. You know, their squad signings have not been good. I don't think they know really how they want to play the game, despite having some of the best players in the Premier, probably mm-hmm. probably second or third best squad in the league. They just don't. They just don't perform. Well, it's interesting because the, I remember the year that he came in was it three years ago, and he came in at the end of the Super Rugby season. So it was two thirds of the way through Bath's preseason, and everyone and he watched got, every one of their games for the last three years on DVD. Yeah, but allegedly, <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I yeah. do remember that. Yeah, but for that first season, or certainly for the first half of that first season, everyone gave him a load of slack because. He'd only come in right at the end. He'd not been able to uh, put his blueprint and his game plan. And kind of two years after that, we're still really waiting for him to... Yeah, what is your plan? Tell me your plan. A player blueprint. Well, I'd love to know. I would love to know how much Bruce Craig's fingers are in that pie when it comes to signings and stuff. I'd love to know. That's that's a good point. I have a, I have a, I have a suspicion that Todd Blackadder or whoever's in charge at Bath probably just gets players landed on them that they didn't even ask for. The, well, that allegedly happened with the, is it Noriega the prop that they've got the uh, Argentine lad. Yeah, have, have I got the right prop? Anyway, apparently he showed up with his kit. No one knows who he is. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've heard multiple things about Todd Blackadder, like, and, and it's not necessarily a criticism, but maybe just how he does business. He does not know who he's playing against week to week. Like, he doesn't do player analysis. Doesn't know the name. Well, struggles to know who Ben Youngs was, and well, maybe that's because he's focused so much on Bath. But whatever it is, it's just not really working. So who would you have in? Because uh, I'd, I'd love to see. Uh, I don't think it will happen. Cause he's just signed a new deal. But I'd love to see Big Stew being given like a head coach role. I think we've seen Stuart it. Lancaster. I mean, I, you know, I think you've got to look back at these things. Kind of like Stuart Lancaster and Todd Blackard are basically similar people, aren't they? In terms of probably quite good interpersonally, quite good, you know, with uh, player developments or pers- personnel development, um, nice guys. But, like, you know, in the same way that we looked at Todd Blackadder and people go, oh, it's great, look, he, uh, he never won anything with the Crusaders, and everyone thought that was, like, a plus at the time. Uh, you look at Stuart Lancaster, and, yeah, he is the number two in a very successful Leinster side, which is well, great. That's why, that's, about- why I'm not saying, that's, that's why I'm not saying DOR. I'm saying head uh, coach. Oh, well, what about just a coach? Just a consultant coach? Um, but I wouldn't give him the reins, no. not. I don't think I would. Well, what what role is Stuart Hooper going to take? <sighs> Who knows? I mean, he's a general manager, is he not? Uh, he is, yeah. He's currently their general ma- manager. Yeah, I think that's a... I mean, people, the people that know about Stuart Hooper talk about him in absolutely glowing terms. You know, they say a man of absolute integrity, this and the other. I, I think I would rip it all up and start again. That's what I think I'd do. But I, there's also a lot of money invested in Stuart Hooper. I think they've sent him on bloody, you know, degree courses for management and all sorts. So I, I, the answer is I, I don't know. But if I was in charge, I would tear it all up and start again. <laughs> we, we've got an unbelievable game of rugby we've not even touched on yet. 
Correct. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I've got one more thing I'd, I'd like your opinions on. The RFU, good old RFU, have come down, right, um, and told all coaches, I think it's up to under 18, that, that in every team, every team, you there is a minimum standard that every player has to get half a game. What's your initial thoughts on, on, on that? So, is... Has it actually been put in place, or is this just... Um, no, it's in place now. It's in place now. Yeah, so if you're in the RFU structures, you've got a matchday squad, no child... Ah, uh, so from next season. Yeah. No child is... Uh, sorry, every child must have half a game. So my initial reaction is, up to 18, which is what I read, uh, is too late. Mm. I, don't, I don't have any problem with it as a principle up to, say, I don't know, 12, 13? Yeah. I, I just think that seems too late to be doing it. Tim? Um, I don't have a huge issue with it, if I'm, if I'm honest. I was, I, was interested to, I was interested to ask you what your main um, issue with it is, JB. I do, I do kind of agree with Phil that it, maybe 18 is too late, but then again, it's still amateur and no one's saying you have to put... 30 blokes in your squad yeah. but we're only talking about maybe four players sat on the sideline yeah like, like if like it's what it should be or it should be about um engagement enjoyment long long time long term um long term enjoyment in the game that's going to last you a, you know a, a, a lifetime i think these are really impressionable in important years and i i i was probably lucky not to be in that position where i was a player sat on the sideline but i can imagine it would yeah, is it okay? So first of all, I think it's really good guidance. I think the guidance of saying use all of your squad is a, is a pretty solid principle. I, I have no problem with that because you should use all of your squad. And if you've got things like interchanges, like we have at Talk H, you're very wise to get the strongest squad that you can and rotate them. That's not because I feel sorry for the guys on my bench. It's because they're bloody good players, and you know you need to get you know you need to get as much as much game time out of everyone as possible. So I have no problem with the guidance. But I do have a problem with it being mandatory. I, I think it's a terrible I, I, uh, idea to be mandatory. Because, you know, for instance, okay, first of all, I don't think it takes seriously enough how much these kids want to play rugby. So when I was 14, I don't know if you, if you remember being 14 playing rugby, like, if I had lost a game, particularly against a local rival, that was like a small death. Like that was that was like that was really really serious stuff, and I can't imagine how annoyed I'd be if if, if the coach had taken me off, or in fact I actually spent a, th- a lot more time on the bench than probably you two did, um, uh, uh, or if we, you know, or if you were the kid replaced for the kid that wasn't you know that wasn't better, you'd, you'd feel that as a real a real injustice. I mean, I I certainly would. That that'd be the first thing. The second thing is, I really have trouble with um, the idea that winning is not important to kids. I think that is absolute nonsense. It is vital to their enjoyment. If you're playing rugby you basically play to win I don't care what you uh, and what you say. It is hugely important, and if you lose, that's hugely important too because it should hurt and it should be miserable because that's how you you know. In, uh, we're not we're not talking about the misery of we're not talking about the misery of losing, but that teaches you lessons as well. We're actually talking about the the taking something out of the hands of of grown ups who should know better. Because I think if I was genuinely if I was coaching a team, I wouldn't have someone sat 
shivering on the touchline for 75 minutes and then chuck them on for five minutes at the end. Exactly. Well, funny you should mention that, Tim. It, 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 this, is, this, is, this is actually probably, I don't know, I'm assuming they've got some data or they had some research that's that's been the, the prelude to bringing this in, but it's probably just mandating things that adults should already be doing. Well, that's interesting you say that, okay? So that's exactly my point, which is the coach of this of these teams should should know it should be ultimately their decision but imagine if you weren't ready for half a game you, you know and you've got to have half a game with you know with the bigger boys or even worse i mean kids are brutal kids are absolutely brutal if you came on for half a game and absolutely ruined it for your mates you would you would get a lot of stick anyway the last part of this right is if this doesn't apply to private schools what are you going to have or lads going to club rugby getting exposure there in this soft um, you know, everyone wins sort of atmosphere. Meanwhile, these lads in private school, which are all coached by ex-professionals, and to them, you know, it really does matter if you win or win or lose, not only for the kids, but also for the coaches who could well get fired. Um, they're going to grow up in a much more competitive environment, and the kids that are really good, or, you know, even middling, are going to get much more game time than the kids which are in, well, know, which the, are in the clubs. The, these private schools you speak of run six teams on a Wednesday... That on a Saturday, that, so every, everyone get everyone everyone plays. This is um, you know I, I've been in teams that have had well the school I was at there was there was a kind of uh, you got rewarded for your um, your attendance and effort at training. So there were guys that got put into teams that, that probably weren't up to the standard, but they got their game time. I, yeah, it, I, I understand your point, JB. I I, I disagree, but um, I think that I, I, I overall I'm much more concerned with. Uh, with young people enjoying physical activity and physical accomplishment than than with them winning matches. Although that obviously is something which is important to them as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything. I agree with all of that. I just wonder if we are sort of devaluing it by just, you know, saying everyone gets half a game. And we really, really mm. used to doing these things. And actually, why don't we just leave it up to the coaches? I mean, why don't we just leave this as advice for coaches and let them use their, use their discretion? Yeah, I could get on board with that as well, that point. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which leads us yeah. nicely on to R- RFU funding cuts. Does anyone know anything about RFU funding cuts? Because you put it on my list. There, there's a few funding cuts, mostly around travel budgets, that have been announced this week, and it's all part of the overall RFU strategy to uh, kind of sort out their bank balance. Um it's not it's not a huge storyline. It's not been uh, that widely reported everywhere, but it ha- was announced this week. I did get a chairman of a club contact me um, about this, actually. But it was so um, in detail. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm struggling to get excited about it, really. I just, we've got, well, I'll tell you what, we've got, we've got some barren, barren weeks in, uh, in the summer. Mm. Or less barren weeks than normal because there's all the Rugby World Cup warm-up, but we're still going to have some barren weeks, so we could do a, or we could do an extra podcast deep dive when, when, um, when we know a little bit more. Yeah. So, Tim, I'm I'm fully envisioning envisaging a full two weeks of Danny Cipriani getting called up to the World Cup squad. Yes, followed by yes. Marcus Smith. Followed by Danny Cipriani going on a night out with the World Cup squad, followed by <laughs> the the court case or whatever le- legal ramifications happen after Danny Cipriani's night out with the World Cup. And squad. then, oh my god, oh yeah. my god! Right, so Danny Cipriani's nailed nailed on World Cup starter. He's had a great preseason, 
Um, then he goes out and Cynic, which is completely not his fault, I might add, completely not his fault, goes down, meaning he can no longer play in the World Cup. And they need a, the next closest thing to Danny Cipriani. <laughs> what do they do? No, someone someone gets a video of Danny Cipriani um, doing something which, taken out of context, looks bad. And then, to make matters worse, Owen Farrell likes it on Instagram. <laughs> they both have to go. Who, who's <laughs> yeah. next up? Who's next up? Marcus Smith. Yes, he is. Marcus Smith. <laughs> All I need to do now is make a video for 888 betting and uh, you watch it come true. (laughs) (laughs) Right, we have been farting and fannying around for way too long. Let's talk about this game. Let's talk about Leinster Toulouse. Yeah. Can I I just want to say, uh, Toulouse's attack never got into gear, but when they do click, they are are like a a precision-engineered razor. Oh, aren't they just? They're so sharp. They're what? so sharp. L- like a cornerstone razor, I'd say. What a great uh, Which you great can analogy. get delivered to you in a beautiful presentation box. Uh, you can get, as many people have been posting pictures of, they absolutely love their brand new free aluminium shaft with their initials engraved on it. You get that for free because you listen to us. Four quid. Get your free aluminium shaft. Get your six amazing cornerstone razors we've had people saying that it's the be- that there are lots of these type of things about cornerstone are the best so it, you don't it does, because you listen to us you can get it for four quid at cornerstone.co.uk slash egg chasers that's www.cornerstone.co.uk slash egg chasers fill your boots excellent excellent um it's a good point you make because so Toulouse never really got into this game uh and I, I mentioned before about DuPont playing 10, which yep. which yeah. I think contributed to it. I also, I think Leinster's, uh, their physicality up front and their defensive shape also prevented Toulouse their from... Their defensive shape was excellent. Yeah. It really was excellent. It was suffocating and they, they were forcing, so they, they were limiting Colby and Uge uh, and Ramos, that, that whole back three, they were limiting them to kind of half chances and forcing them back in field mm. so forcing them back in field where there was just a wave of Leinster defenders to crush them so I could watch this DuPont play every day if if he played for sale right I would <laughs> I would go to training every day to watch him play that's how much I like him at 10 oh no because AJ plays 10 for the Jets if you play for the Jets <laughs> yeah he's not, he's not going to play 9 he's not going to play 10 he's not going to play 10 but He's I would, not going to play in the wing. Yeah, I'd go and watch him every, every day. Um, I thought he played all right, actually. I mean, I know what you're saying, that you miss him from the, from, the base, from the base of those rooks because he adds a little bit of ex, a little bit extra. And and also, I don't think his decision-making as a, as a 10, so a receiver-kicker, mm. was as good as it could have been. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, was it him that threw the pass, which got intercepted by Lama? Oh no! Was that was it him actually? Because he, had he gone to he'd gone to nine at that point. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it wasn't a bad decision from ten. It was just a bad decision, but heartbreak, absolute heartbreak. Because I wanted uh, to lose to win this so badly, so so badly. I understand. I, I do understand. You know that they've got a style, but this is a European semi final, and you, you made the point with Claremont earlier, yeah. who were at home yeah. heavy favourites, and they still took every point that was on offer, and to lose. I don't get their thinking. They didn't. And you've got to stay in touch with Leinster. And when you're playing catch-up against that defence, you've got no chance. Yeah, so just before half-time, they made a howler of a decision. 
in my opinion. They should have taken the three, three points there. Oh, yeah. Howl of Ab- a decision. Absolutely. That was a bonkers decision. And that was such a weird end to the half because basically after the clock had gone red, uh, Toulouse, so Toulouse had a scrum in Leinster's 22 just as the clock went red. They gave away a penalty. They gave away two penalties which allowed Leinster to go from their 22 to halfway line to Toulouse's 22. They gave away the penalty, which was, I think, the um, Conan block, mm. which allowed Toulouse to go to halfway. Leinster gave away another penalty. So you're on like 47 minutes, and with each team having a visit to the opposition's 22, and no one got any points out of just it. kick the damn ball. Yeah. Just kick just, the just, damn ball. Just take the po- You've had enough chances, take the points. Yeah, uh, I completely but, agree. Uh, do you know what I do like about uh, Toulouse? I mean, not they're in... Not, I'm not going to talk about Toulouse anymore, because I need to talk about Leinster at some point. Um, I love how they attack through the ruck. And every time they, they do it, even if it's like, you know... Um, Phase and then same and then next phase, next phase. It it, it's, it takes everyone by utter surprise every time. <laughs> like they just walk over the top of the ruck. Like, oh Christ, they've gone over the ruck. They've gone over the ruck. And then they do it again and again. It's a very French thing to do. And then they start the offloading. Um, and you don't see you don't really see that in the Prem or you know Pro, Pro Fourteen. Very French thing to do. It is. And they didn't really get that offloading going until it was already too late. Yeah. Did they? Yeah, I, there's a really good bit in this um, in this game where they profiled Cheslin Colby because he's so good. He's so, so good, right? Just wasn't in this game. And uh, I can't remember who, uh, one of the BC Sports uh, people said it. They were saying, uh, you know, Colby, you know, if you're, if you're a mother out there and you're worried about, you know, your son playing rugby, here he is. He's 12 stone or 14 stone <laughs> and, you know, you can do this, this, that and the other. 30 minutes in, James Lowe has run over him twice. And like, that is why, <laughs> mothers, that's why you don't encourage your son to play rugby at 14 stone. Get, get him to at least 16. He's not 14 stone as well. Was he 12? 79, uh, 12 and a half, 12 and a bit, 12 and a half. Yeah, yeah, that's why, you know, 12 stone players, great for a little bit of time, and then they meet James Lowe. And James Lowe put his hand in his chest and made him look like a starfish. <laughs> James Lowe played very, very well. Yeah, the the he way did. he finished those, tr- those two tries, and... Is, is, I, Ireland's James Lowe in November. Is it November? Wow. Something like that. I Ooh. would have him in the team. Oh, it's, it's, after, it's after the World Cup anyway. It might be January. It, it is, yeah. I know, it's, I know it's after the World Cup. Um, yeah. Because he's, he's not enormously tall, but he's so strong, wide, he's so strong, he? he's low but centre of gravity. He's so powerful, yeah. 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 <laughs> Just made me laugh. Oh, Chesney right. Colby's not human, though. Chesney Colby is not human. There was one point where, I, I don't know how, quite how he managed it, but he po- he. He popped past the ball to himself. He was in two <laughs> places at once. <laughs> I've Unreal. Said this, right? Do you know these these nutters that want to prove that like uh, telepathy exists or clairvoyance exists, and they go to Urugeli's Urugeli uh, Urugeli's Ur- Ur- house or Ur- Mystic Meg's house. Urugeli. Urugeli. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people. Yeah. They're looking in the wrong place. If you want to find like people with with like psychic potential psychic capabilities, you need to be looking at the great fly halves or scrum halves or people that are passing without looking. That that is basically 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 where you're going to find it. I think Colby's got something like that going on. <laughs> something, definitely something. But in terms of uh, Leinster, they look like the 2018 Leinster that we've not really seen this season overly bar for a couple of occasions there was there's a lot of players that were playing the kind of rugby that we know they can and they have been and 
Um, well, it helped having their, their their big men back, but it's it's quite ominous for Saracens that they're starting to click. Sean O'Brien looked great. Yeah. Um, I tell I tell you what, Jack Conan's got to be pushing for Ireland's number eight spot, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He he's playing really really well at the moment. Look, I mean, if you're starting for Leinster at number eight, you're pushing for an all world squad at some point. <laughs> you know. So. Well, I mean, push. Okay, we're pushing CJ Stander yeah. out of the starting eight shirt then. No, no, CJ Stander. So I mean, he played very 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 well against. Uh, Against Saracens, CJ Stunder is one of those guys that just always plays well, no matter what, what his team does. But, yeah, he's, Co- he's going to push him. I mean, yeah. He's a great second option. Conan's playing really well. I'll tell you someone who I liked in the pack as well. Um, so I, I liked Furlong, not necessarily for the flashy stuff, but for his work rate. And A, a, a quick example of that is the pushover try, um, which I think was credited to Luke McGrath, but the pushover try kind of halfway through the first half. And Furlong was working so hard. He took... So he was thrashing around like a like a harpooned whale. And he took two or three Toulouse players completely to one side and just took them out with a rook, which allowed... It gave the rest of the... Sorry, the maul. Which gave the rest of the maul the momentum to drive over the line. Because he was working so hard, nowhere near the ball. Yeah, which which is something he did a lot of the game round the rooks and round the malls. Yeah, that's it. I, I noticed one thing when I was in France actually on the on the pushover try. Claremont had, uh, or no, Harlequins had a pushover try, and the way they list pushover tries in France, they don't award it to a player. What? Oh, really? It was on the on the on the sort of list of tries and stuff. It was something like SIE collectif. That was ah, it. that's cool. So that would have meant remember start of last season when the laws changed and you had to pass the ball back and then lots of wingers started getting on getting on the yeah. scoreboard Number tw- Jimmy Guppeth was the worst two years ago yeah yeah he exactly. got so many tries to watch just like, running in the back of all yeah they're about 50 yards away and they run in from full back to start yeah. to try well I, my guess is if it went down as collective they wouldn't bother <laughs> well on, on that on that uh, that Leinster pushover try it was Luke McGrath who was credited with it but Lama was in there working really, really hard. Backs, backs in now, walls make me laugh. Those two are, Lama and McGrath probably are about the same weight as Colby. Yeah. Uh, nah, so rubbish. I bet, I, bet, I bet if you look again at the replay, Lama was stood on, on Ty Furlong's back like, Teen Wolf just surfing, <laughs> surfing his way into the line. If you ever see backs and malls, I mean, this, I'm not doing the cliche backs versus forwards thing, but like the body positions which they attach to these, what like they're pushing with their chest bolt upright. Listen, or, listen, Johnny May would prove you wrong. Oh, JD. We have, can we can we post a picture on our egg chasers account account of our good friend Ollie Pool <laughs> on the side of a mall? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, should we push it again? Yes, I think I, I, I think we should. Hi, Ollie. Hi, Ollie. Uh, excellent. So, so just one thing on this as well. Well, two things actually. The um, it's just two more examples of the Toulouse decision making. Um, one by the coaches, one by the players. So, um, Jerome Kano, who is such an important leader, such an important carrier, such an important defender, he was taken off after like. 45 minutes was he yeah it was like weirdly early for him to be Did taken not off even notice uh, so that's that's one thing so that's by the coaches the other thing the yellow card the Richie Gray yellow card right this annoyed me right <laughs> okay Richie Gray shouldn't be doing that right so, Rich, so I actually thought Wayne Barnes handled that really really well 
I, it would in a normal game if it was Tok H. Yep. It would never ever get picked up. Or a European Cup final when there was no TMOs. Yeah. Like but the good the, old days. The game has changed. I just felt like it's I thought so I thought Wayne Barnes had it brilliantly. I thought Richie Gray, you absolute idiot because you you're giving, yep. it was 10 yards out from your own posts. The risk I, the risks there. I agree with the yellow card 100%. I 100% agree with it. But I also think Wayne Barnes has to see it. I just hate the idea that you know all the Le- Leinster fans can jump. Le- fans, sorry, Leinster fans can jump up and down, saying "Jack it, Jack it," waving their hand- hands in the air, basically snitching. You know, we all know what we think of snitches. Uh, and then they slowed on the game, and then Barnes he has to go. I think I've got a you know a, a, an extremity in the ruck connecting with the ball, something like that. I think they should play. The TMO can only be used for serious instances of foul play. Uh, and checking for tries. And that's it. That's it. I can't... Uh, it, this sort of dawned on me this week when I watched Man City versus Tottenham. Did you see the game? I did, yeah. Uh, Tottenham yeah. scored. And in football, it's so... I mean, I've not watched it for so long, but it's like your natural instinct. As soon as someone scores, that, that's it. They've scored. As long as the referee has given it out at that time, that's it. And you, you, so historically, you just quickly check the linesman. He's, yep. There's no flag... Goal, goal. That's it, and that's sort. And I kind of miss that because he has to go and check with the VA, with the VAR and all well, that. And rugby should be the same. Serious. I mean, we, they don't get serious foul play like we do. So you can do serious foul play, uh, and you can do uh, checking for tries. That is it. I like. I like the right decision to be made. Well, the right decision is he has to, he has to get in the right position to see it, and also the right decision then is Richie Gray knocking the ball down because that's the right decision for his team. Where's the gamesmanship? Where's the, where's the dark arts? Where's all that stuff? There'll still be some dark arts. You know, it's a shame. Shame. <laughs> it was yeah. Well, it, it it was a brain dead thing to do uh, at, a, at a crucial time. Um, I've never seen a, a simultaneous grounding before in a match. Never seen it. No, I haven't either. We we, we discussed this before the pod. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've seen it. I was looking it up because I was checking the the laws. Uh, I think it's twenty one eighteen is the official law, um, and apparently it happened in a wasps. I can't remember who it was. A wasps game two or three years ago, but the rule is. Let me just quickly get it up. The law. Sorry, no. the law. 21.18 if there's a doubt about which team first grounded the ball in goal play is restarts uh, World Rugby you need to there's a little typo there but play play restarts with a 5 metre scrum in line with the place where the ball was grounded the attacking team throws in which didn't actually happen in this case because it was advantage but Wayne Barnes got it right it looks like yeah he did yeah. I mean I think simultaneous grounding you give a try that's what I think there's there's I mean, I'm all for the to to speed things up or benefit to, of the doubt with the attack. Flip the benefit yeah. of the doubt uh, 180 degrees round. Yeah, cause that that gives the benefit of the doubt. But I guess in this instance, both players had control of the ball, so maybe it would be unfair, and maybe a five meter restart. Oh, sorry, a five meter scrum with the attacking attacking team uh, in possession is the right ruling. Or maybe, maybe it should be kind of like American football, where 
whoever manages to wrestle the ball free first. Everyone forms a circle around them. <laughs> whoever can wrestle it off the other one first gets the gets the decision. That's exactly how it should be, Tim. Exactly how it <laughs> That would be entertaining at least. Wayne Barnes's finest moment in the match was when he said, um, you know when some people try and speak French and then flip to English for the second part of a sentence? He yes. went, pa, pa, my problem. What was that even mean? <laughs> I didn't know what the first French bit is. Uh, it was like, pas mon problème. Like, not, not my problem. Not, yeah, pas. Oh, is it? Not my, but he just went, he went, um, he, he just went, pas my problem. <laughs> like, je beat in a house. It was good. <laughs> And that's probably Wayne Barnes' last European match. Is it? Well, it will be. It doesn't seem right that he's retired. Unless he, unless he does the Challenge Cup, unless he does the Challenge Cup final, it'll be his last Champions Cup match. Why? Who's doing the final? Do you know? No, but it'll be. It won't be an Englishman. Oh no! Of course it won't. Of course it won't. Nigel Owens, maybe. Probably get Gar says free for all at the breakdown. Yeah, do what it. you want. Yeah, there was there was some. Uh... Wild West stuff in that game, mm. the Saracens game. There, there was, there so was. Just, just on that, I know we, we've covered the game, but the Munster try, that that to me felt like kind of three bad decisions compounding yeah. one another because he, he was trying to correct his first bad decision. So Munster carried the ball in five metres from the Saracens line. They're stopped, held up for a fraction of a second. It... it collapses or it is a tackle but he called it as a maul so gives Saracens put in when that really it wasn't a maul there was never a maul no. uh, so it should have been well carry on get the Saracens men out there and let the boys play but to compound that Saracens scrum goes massively forward Connor Murray then sticks his foot in it comes back to Munster so two offences by the Munster team but play on because he got it wrong in the first place. But it was a well-taken try in in the end. Hmm. That was a bit of gamesmanship that you're after, JB. That's better. Was it Donahue it? or was it Murray? But, I don't know which one did the kit, did the hook, hooked it back Murray, out of the scrum. Murray, uh, yeah, O'Donoghue was nowhere near bound <laughs> uh, no. by the time that that scrum had gone two or three yards forward. So, um, yeah, okay. Well, just to round up the Len- the Leinster game then. Um, yeah, well done, Leinster. Good news, the best team went went through. But even better news that Toulouse are properly back, and I'm looking forward to watching them play ne- next year, big time. Well, that that is another good point because the the they had a, a few old heads, some of the foreign players and guys like Medard and Uge is no spring chicken anymore. But some of the young guys they've got in that team, wow, they are seriously, seriously talented boys right across back, backs and forwards that will be around for years to come for Toulouse. Yeah, they're back. Um, next week's games. Yes. So, Pro um, 14. Uh, I've got them here, Phil, if you want me to go through them. Well, just going to say Pro 14, this is the final round, isn't it? It is. So. Uh, just, just one final thing. There was a picture. I think it was the, was it the Canes? Did they play the Rebels this weekend? No, Canes played some, some Wolves, Wolves and won after being uh, 16 oh, who, points down. Oh, who played the Rebels? Uh, anyway, whatever. Uh, there was a picture, there was a picture in the background of, that I've seen online of, um, the rebels in the tunnel, just waiting to go out, and there's a flag on the wall. It might be in their dressing room. A flag in their dressing room, which said, "It, it says in like um, skateboard font, it's time, it's time to pimp on it." <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Is that what? Sorry, what? Is that a typo? I don't know if that's meant to stand for something, but no, no, it wasn't. It's not a type. 
not a typo, but I don't know whether PIMP stands for something, but it's oh. time to pimp. What was what was the thing on uh, um, George Ford's forearm? Oh, um, back his F- 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 oh, yeah. Ben Youngs. Yeah. F-E-B-Y. F- 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 oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. F it, Ben Youngs. No, Young. no. F it, B-Y, no. Ben Youngs. F it, back no, yourself. what was it? It yeah. was F it. Back yourself. Back yourself. F it. Yeah, so it's F-U-C-K it. Hang on. <laughs> Can I just point out the stupidity of that, right? <laughs> Why would you spell out the swear word, <laughs> but then initialise back yourself? <laughs> I don't know. Did he write? He didn't write. He didn't write a swear. Was it? Did did uh, George yeah. Ford have an actual, have the F word on it? Yeah, yeah. It is F I'm it. sure it did. Yeah. B dot Y. Yeah. Ben Youngs. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because that, that's what caught your attention, right? It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a swear yeah, word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he said back yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, obviously he wants to back himself. Why back yourself needs to be cryptic. But, um, yeah, fuck it. So if, if, anyone knows what pimp, if anyone knows what pimp uh, means, is an acronym for, then, yeah, l- let us know if it is one, unless they're just, you know... I know what it's not an acronym know. for. I know why it's not an acronym, I, I should say. Um, it's an interesting choice, isn't it, you know, in the current climate, but fair enough. Um, bef- yeah, and and Mar- and Marnon who making a claim for the All Black squad that he's playing really well again. But you're right. Let's get on to next week's games. Okay, so first up, massive, massive game. These these are all well, they're all derbies. So first, first up, uh, Zebra Treviso at Zebra. So- oh, Conor O'Shea, the, the the Italian rugby union are going to have a word and say Zebra roll over. We want a team in the Champions Cup. If Zebra don't roll over, everyone in, in everyone in that squad is going to wake up with a Zebra's head ne- uh, next to them. <laughs> so. Yeah, the better rollover. Zebra, who have conceded 615 points uh, across 20 games, they, they will be losing. If Treviso win, playoff time, baby. Uh, they can guarantee it, can't they? Yep, it's in their hands. So if they win, a five-point win takes it away from either Edinburgh or Scarlets. Have that. Wow. That that would be big. Wow. Uh, meanwhile, guaranteed win for Scarlets, who go to, go to Dragons. It's five points for them. Um, Kings Cheaters in a game that nobody cares about. <laughs> Local uh, derby. Yeah, Ulster versus Leinster. Does this mean anything for you, Phil? Uh, it doesn't. So Ulster, they're, are... both, they're both already in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah, Cardiff and... versus Ospreys. This does mean something to somebody. Uh, apparently, um, Ospreys can get to the playoffs still, can't they? Uh, they can they? No. no, they can get to the playoff. They can get to the uh, the, the the seventh place playoff for a Champions Cup spot. Correct. They can't get into the top three, right? Uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, and the same is true. And the same is true of Cardiff. So that, that yeah. yeah, that game is significant. Hmm. Yeah, winner winner finishes fourth in that group in Conference A. Right. So, um, Glasgow, Edinburgh. Uh, this is actually fairly important. Edinburgh needs to win this, and Edinburgh. And Glasgow will want to be. Well, Glasgow will want to buy him top spot, won't they? They will. So Glasgow yeah. can be overtaken by Munster. So Glasgow need yes. more than two points out of this. And Edinburgh need the win to get into the playoffs. Otherwise, otherwise they're going to be. Oh, no, they're probably going to miss out on the playoffs, and they're probably going to miss out on the playoffs for a Champions Cup spot. They could probably, probably Edinburgh could well end up fifth. Yeah, oh, in the pool. all the good work as well. But Ed- Edinburgh have got a good record against Glasgow. Great record, really good, really good record. Um, oof. I mean, as much as I want Edinburgh to do well. Uh, I really want them to lose because um, <laughs> I want Treviso to go through. And Munster hosts Connacht, which doesn't mean anything to Connacht because they're safe in third. But Munster, if Glasgow uh, fail to win or fail to get 
a four-try draw, then Munster can overtake them. So that is mm. important for Munster, but not so much for Connacht. Right, interesting. Right. Very interesting. Because interesting times. Yeah. Now, for some reason, I must be one week ahead on the schedule because I've got Bristol and Sale. But actually, it's Sale versus Bath on Friday night. Some real rugby now. Um, yeah. Are you, are you working this one, Tim? I am, yeah. Uh, I am as well. I'll see you there. See you there. Um, tough game, this. Very tough game. Uh, Sale have pretty much... Um, had the better of Bath every time they've been up to the AJ belt of late. I think Bath are very, very good on their day, but they are a bit dysfunctional. Sale are very, very good on their day. They are a bit dysfunctional. <sighs> Coin toss. How much physically and mentally will the travel to La Rochelle and back and the game, the, the physicality of the game, having your best uh, front row getting beaten up by Antonio and Prizo? Yeah, it's bad that. Um, yeah, it's... I'm not going to say that it won't affect them. It clearly will. And like I said before, they are a team which do not get beaten up. They just don't. I've not. I've never seen that happen before. Um, that said, hopefully they'll want to bounce back. But they're on the, you know, they're on a bit of a bad run now. They had a really good win at home against Leicester. They've lost against Worcester. They've lost against uh, La-, La-, La Rochelle. I hope they can bounce back. Um, because they, they could actually slide into ninth place yeah. if, if they don't win this. Which is bad. But they could but they could yet get into fourth if they win their remaining games. Uh, and other results go their way that yeah. It is yeah. The, it is but that it's the same side. As last season. They were on the cusp of getting fourth and then it all unraveled. And maybe you know, maybe this is the downside to having a smaller squad. You know, this is the time when you suffer. Especially if you're playing uh European semi finals. Yeah. So uh, I th- I've just got I think at home, Sale will edge it. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Sale just Newcastle Northampton. Hmm. If Newcastle don't win this it's again, night, isn't it? it's not mathematically impossible, but it's over. Northampton are a good team. Uh, Northampton are probably my favourites for fourth. Interesting. Because I just think that they play a great brand of rugby. They can score against anyone. They're getting... The thing is, they're getting better every time they step on the field. As, as I keep saying, I think their pack's a bit flaky. Mm. Flaky's yeah, the wrong word. Yeah, flaky's the wrong word. But the they, they've just not... Their set piece isn't quite right. Mm. I I think they win this. And I... I think they concede some points, but I think they get they get a bonus point. I think they get five points out of this. Northampton do. Yeah, I could well see them ending up in fourth. So the the plastic pitch uh, suits them. Hmm. I'm going to go for Newcastle on this one. Newcastle have to have to have to. They have a, to. It was a must-win game two weeks ago against Leicester, but this is another one. But that's so, why I think they lose because yeah, those those must-win games they've yeah, not they've, been. They played that card. Yeah. You know, if they won that, Newcastle win this, but they they didn't, so You're right. Give me Northampton. Exeter Harlequins. Exeter for me. Uh, Exeter, yeah. de- definitely. Uh yeah. Leicester Bristol. Now, if there's one team well, there's lots of teams, but one team in these close games that's suited to exploit Leicester's backline defensive weaknesses. It's Bristol. Yeah. Bristol will, they'll have analysed it, they'll be running everything from everywhere, 
they'll find the holes and they will exploit it. So I think I think unless Mike Ford has given a serious shake up to that uh, backline defence already, I think Bristol are going to win this. I think Leicester are going to come good. I think they've had a couple of extra weeks with Mike Ford, who is a. I always think of him as an attacking guru, but actually he came into this, you know, this rugby union world as a defence coach. Yep. So he knows a thing or two about that as well. Bloody good coach. Uh, I think his, his impact is felt immediately. If they've given, they've handed him the reins. Leicester should come out and be a much better team, and they've got good players. That's the thing which we keep on forgetting. Leicester. They've got some very good players. They've he, also got. Yeah, yeah, let's, not talk, let's not talk, talk about those ones. <laughs> and, yeah, they've had a week off. Give me Leicester, Tim. I think that I think Leicester at home. Okay, then we got Wasps Saracens. So is this a double header on Saturday? As yeah, in, uh, both both on BT Sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Nice Saracens. Saracens, I think, will rest a load of players, and Wasps have started to come good. Yeah, they'll lose this. Uh, uh, give me wasps. Give me sorries. I've I've got a funny feeling about wasps. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going to go for wasps. They beat Exeter at Exeter. Well, here's here's a shout for you. Sunday, Worcester win. Interesting. Against Gloucester. Gloucester. So Gloucester are pretty much secure for third spot. Not mathematically, but. Pretty much. So, it'd be interesting to see what they do. Worcester, they still need at least one more win. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. No, I can't. That Gloucester pack is just just too big. It is. With it, Sip, Sip no, pulling no. the strings in the Gloucester pack, give me Gloucester. I'm going Gloucester. 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 Give me Worcester. I have a feeling. Interesting. Uh, so, if all this comes to fruition... Uh, it looks like Newcastle are down and Northampton finished the week in fourth place. There you go. Tantalising. Now, one one final thing before we finish up. Unless you two have got any other business. I do have some other business. Okay, go no. on. No! Very, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Um, you might know that some of our bravest and best are playing, are, are playing rugby and as I understand it... Uh, the there are still tickets available for Air Force versus Army. I think that's in King's Home, actually. So if, if uh, by the way, by the way, I've been I, I haven't been able to um, be in the studio for the last couple of weeks, but I've been sent a, a Navy jersey as well, which um, lovely. So we, just need, jersey? we just need Phil. We, we just yeah, so we just need Phil to get an Army jersey, and uh, we could do a Forces <laughs> uh, Forces Pod special. Who is your link? Who is your link in the in the Navy, Tim? Well, when I'm wearing it, when I'm on screen, I will reveal my sources. Interesting. Well, if you one, ha- one of our, one of our listeners, one of our listeners who just wanted to balance things up a bit. Well, on that note, if you have a army journey, an army jersey that you want to give to me, um, size medium, you can slide into our DMs <laughs> at Rugby Podcast and let us know. Yeah, that, that way we can we can actually yeah. support a, a branch of the forces each, which someone else did. So Frankie Barker on Twitter. Slid into our DMs, hashtag sliding, <laughs> hashtag lurking, um, to say, um, re- relating to our discussion a couple of weeks ago about how Tigers got their name. Yes. He said his uncle was a former mayor of Wig- Wigston, um, who's 90 years young, Duncan Lucas, 
And he said there's a, a family back in the 1920s by the name of Crunkhorn with sons who played for Leicester. And when the Leicestershire Regiment returned from India, they brought a magnificent tiger skin with them, which hung pride of place on it. the wall of the clubhouse. I knew it was something to do, do, to do with hunting tigers. So, if you want to slide into our DMs, just like Frankie, at Rugby Podcast. Yeah, so, so just I, so you... I like that idea of us each adopting uh, one of the forces as our team for future forces matchups as well. Yeah, I, that, that, that's a great shout. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so anyway, my RAF will be playing Phil's Army at King's Home next Saturday. Uh, also, RAF women have never beaten uh, uh, beaten the army, but could be on for inter-service champs if they do. Come uh, on, the army. And the, uh, well, RAF men just need to stay in the race, ri- uh, 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 really. So there you go. Wonderful. Oh, and if you don't believe that forces rugby is any fun. Um, can I just guide you somewhere? Can I guide you to YouTube and have a look at French Marines playing English Marines? <laughs> oh, God. That's such a great fight. At the end of it. Oh, my God. But that's not what it's, that's you don't what see it's about. fights in rugby anymore. You don't see fights in rugby anymore, except in services games. Yes. So have a look at that. Well, yes, have a, have, have a look at that. You can find us on, on Twitter, at Rugby Podcast, Tim, at Cock at Me, at Jay Beardmore, and uh, Phil will find you. Um, <laughs> Always. We're, we're also on YouTube and <laughs> we're like on him. Facebook if you want to you know, go and ha- ha- have a chat, join in the conversation. But until then, from me, Phil and Tim, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.